Hello, you're listening to a Zen Studies Society podcast. To learn more about our community of Zen Buddhist practitioners, please visit zenstudies.org. Good evening. Here in the Boston area, it is a wonderful summer day, warm, but not too humid. And I am thinking of all of the Sangha members who might still be without power or otherwise impacted by the hurricane that came up the eastern seaboard. This threefold Sangha extends to Florida all across the country. And so some of us were actually terribly impacted by it. So let's send our good nen to our Sangha members who are still waiting. And we had a wonderful weekend session where the wondrous activity of Dharma gave birth to 11 new Bodhisattva aspirants receiving Dharma names conceived by Shingiroshi through long and deep being confronted and seeing through each of them. A wonderful event for the Sangha. And we welcome all of them. So for the talk tonight, I would like to tell a couple of stories. Sometimes stories are a good means of expressing and walking around something that can only be pointed to. And today, let me start with the first story, which begins on a day like today, a wonderful summer day. Morning, 79 degrees a summer day that would turn out to be much harder than expected. And the story also involves a little boy. And at this time, the storyline veers off into a direction that we do not want to recognize. Because little boy was not a little human being, little boy was a uranium-235 gun assembly bomb that was not dropped off by his mother at the kindergarten, but from a plane called Enola Gay today, 75 years ago. And while at eight o'clock, it was 79 degrees, at 8.15, it was over 10,000 degrees Fahrenheit. And within seconds, 40,000 people were dead. By December 1945, over 140,000 people had died from that very visit of little boy. It's today. 75 years ago, 
it is really hard to imagine the power of what happened here. Yet, history and time and the activity of Dharma gave us another reminder of explosive power just a few days ago when 2,400 tons of basically fertilizer material exploded in Lebanon. The Oklahoma City bombing that killed many and ripped out the middle of the federal building in Oklahoma City was two tons of the same material. In Beirut, 2,400 tons were set off through human error. And 15,000 tons of explosive power was let loose that day, August 6th, 1945, over the city of Hiroshima in Japan. That day, something changed terribly. Something changed in the way that we human beings have to be aware what our position in this world is. And especially we here in the United States as the keepers of the largest, largest arsenal of these dreadful weapons that are many, many times stronger than little boy. We have a very special responsibility. Relationships between nations changed after that. That little boy turned into someone to keep other nations hostage. Arms races began and the Cold War, and even today, or let's say especially today, we have to be concerned with the launch codes of weapons of that magnitude being carried behind a person who himself maybe would deserve the designation, little boy. So why am I bringing this up? This is not to talk about who was right, who was at fault. Should it have been done? Should it not have been done? No, it is not about winners, victors, losers, perpetrators, not at all. As somebody, in this practice of Zen, of Zen Buddhism, of the investigation of the self, the question that comes out of this for me as a practitioner is, what is it in this human setup into which we are born that leads to such an outcome? And to look at that, 
let me tell you a few other stories that are not as shocking, not as regrettable. So the first one here is in old India at the time of the Buddha, there was a Brahman and he had become an Arhat. So that means he had attained awakening. And every day he went to see the Buddha on his way, the Arhat had to cross a river. Yet, he didn't want to cut up in the city to have to go over the bridge and then go all the way down on the other side of the river to see the Buddha. So he would call out to the river god, Babu, open up. Let me cross like Moses in the Red Sea. The river parted and the Arhat went to the other side and he visited the Buddha. After speaking to the Buddha, he would return again, taking his shortcut, coming to the river, yelling out to the river god, Babu, open up, let me pass. And the river god parted the river. The Arhat passed back to his side. And this happened every day. Every day the Arhat went and exchanged this kind of dialogue with the river god. But after some time, the river god took offense. Babu is how a Brahmin calls everybody who is below them, usually servants. So one day when the Brahmin came, Babu, open up, let me pass. The river did not part. The Arhat had to walk all the way up to the bridge, over the bridge and back, and he reported to the Buddha what had happened. And he asked the Buddha if he could speak with the river god. And the Buddha spoke to the river god, and at the next visit, where still there was the refusal of opening up for the awakened one to cross over, the Buddha said, I have spoken with the river God. And he said that he was upset that you called him Babu. Only servants are called Babu. But as you explained to me, you, you didn't mean any disrespect by calling him Babu. And it ended up that the Buddha explained to the river god that, oh, do you see? 
he certainly will apologize. And you have to forgive him. He is sincere. It is just his habit, as he is from the Brahmin origin. This is where the story ends. It explains that even awakened people carry in them tendencies without ill will. This person called everybody Babu. That's how he had grown up. These were the circumstances he was born into, meaning no disrespect. Not realizing it though. So where this leads me, this story is to the explanation of what we chant in the second line of the Shigusei Ganmon, of the four great vows. Bonno Mujinsei Gandan, the inexhaustible delusions. Bonno is the term that is used to translate the Sanskrit word klesa. And those are the delusions that I would call macro level afflictions. Let's think of some pride, greed, avarice or stinginess, aversion to others, hatred, all very, very clearly visible macro manifestations of afflictions. But apparently that is not everything there is. Even this awakened Arhat who happened to be born a Brahmin acted through that in spite of having awoken. No ill intent with it though, but still Babu, open up. Here comes the next story that explains again with the Buddha what it is that is left. And it involves Ananda. One day the Buddha and Ananda were walking. They were walking into the city and that day there was a big market in the city. But when they walked into the city, the market was already gone. All the stands were broken down. The customers had left. The farmers and those who were offering their wares had gone home. And the Buddha saw some discarded banana leaves lying near some stands, some stall. And clearly they had been used from some vendors used them to wrap up their goods.
The Buddha asked Ananda, go Ananda, pick one up and inspect it. And that is what Ananda did. Can you see anything in the leaf? said the Buddha. Ananda looked very carefully. Says, no world or not one. I cannot see anything. The Buddha asked, can you smell anything? Ananda picked up the leaf and salted fish, world or not one. He picked up another leaf, jasmine flowers. And the Buddha asked Ananda, what does that mean? And we all know Ananda had not woken up yet. So he was perplexed. He couldn't answer. And the Buddha said, you cannot see the fish. Neither can you see the flowers. But you can smell the things that are left over. The residue. So in the Buddhist teachings, there is that teaching of the residue. Bonno is the real gross stuff that we can shovel out the door. But jikke is the more minute stuff that is, first of all, not easily discovered, and second of all, not easily addressed. Jikke is probably one of the prime reasons for this practice to never end, because as long as we are in this human form, with flesh and bones. Jikke will be part of the conditions under which this self arises. Jikke is the, is the Japanese uh, word for it. And when, you, when we look at the original word, word in, in Sanskrit, it's, it's called vasana. And vasana really means perfumings. That's why this story about the banana leaves is so apt to tell the story. It is perfumings or the residue that remains on even things that were discarded. Other translations that I found were predispositions, habituations, latent tendencies, or habit energies. So these are subtle tendencies in our body mind, in our kokoro, in our physical presence even, that are caused by certain exposure, certain conditions that we could call karmic. I don't want to go into calling them negative or positive, because this is again where we step into the realm of Zen and out of 
the realm of any ism that has a dichotomy between good and evil, between plus, minus, and neutral. But it is a fact for us to recognize that there are these tendencies that come into existence like everything, not unconditionally, but through a specific mixture of conditions. The fact that we are born human beings is one of these conditions. And again, don't judge it as better or worse, but the moment you pinch your nose, you will know, yes, this is it. There is a human being behind this nose. Now, what struck me when I looked into this topic a little deeper is that in, in the Avatamsaka Sutra, there are three specific types of these jike that are especially addressed. And the first one is called linguistic jike, linguistic residue. And it has to do with language and concepts as a way to evaluate and validate the world. Concepts and expressions. Now, if we look at the current world and those studying what it means to be not racist, to be not quiet, to be anti-racist, or to even go beyond that. This is just another word for microaggressions that come through, through our careless habitual use of language. We have to be very careful with that. It is very interesting also to note that like in descriptions of Buddhist terms from the Buddha's times, Martial language was used because that was the time then. The general and the troops that attacked Mara. This is the language of war in itself already creating and perpetuating these micro tendencies and micro causes of the perpetuation that led to the first story that I told when we began this talk. The second one that is pointed out in the Avatamsaka Sutta is the self-grasping at the mistaken perpetual self. It is so obvious. We all experience it no matter how much Zazen, how many years we practice, there are always 30 more years to practice. And the tendency, if you think about and feel how subtle this is, it finds its way into our abstractions as well. That's why we have corporate self-centeredness. That's why we have national self-centeredness, nationalism, fascism, 
That's why we have human-centered selfishness and self-centeredness that mistreats Mother Earth. These are the jike that boil up in their subtle way, even into abstraction. And the third one that is pointed out has to do with the cause of existence, predispositions and the cause of existence. That means the arising of our own situation, of the person that you meet in the morning when you wake up, is in itself one of those jike. And when we appear in this world where there are the 10,000 things, by the very fact of having this separation, we are incomplete. We are incomplete and we have to practice and live awakened to not blindly perpetuate those causes that are linguistic, that are self-centered or that are centered on our own arising. Now I can hear you. Thanks a lot, Tokuro. So what are we supposed to do now? But there is a way out of it. And this is the teaching of the Buddha. This is the teaching of the Buddha and it is the path of the Bodhisattva together. So let's be really, really aware of what the medicine for this is. It is bodhicitta, bodhicitta or the very strong determination to be a bodhisattva and to walk towards awakening and Buddhahood and to support all beings together that are in this Buddhahood. And we know nothing and no thing is left out of that. Bodhicitta is being aware and becoming aware not only of bonno, of the really gross junk stuff that we have, but to investigate how jike works and to not fall into these habitual, sometimes century old cultural causes for our failings. Bodhicitta. There are also three types of bodhicitta. It is uh, sometimes the path of the bodhisattva is described in three different ways. The first one is the way of, of the shepherd. Moving their flock. Here she moves her flock into the safe place and goes in last and closes the gate. This is the Bodhisattva who gives their life to help all the sentient beings and not taking care of their own awakening as their number one thing to achieve. The second one is the image of the ferryman. Somebody with the people in the boat, all together, all together across the river to the other shore, 
where they all together arrive at the same time. And the last description is the one of the king, where the king first reaches that awakening and then benevolently shares it with all the sentient beings. Now, even that is some kind of system of differences. Even that is a reflection of the world we are in. And on a day like today, where we look back and have to recognize that we carry all of this in us from the mind that has conceived this terrible device that killed people instantly to the mind that reluctantly used it to the mind that caused somebody else to use it. All of that, where do we begin to make a difference that something like this does not happen again? And again, in war and in this kind of strife, if there is one thing that my parents who went through the Second World War and suffered tremendously, have taught their children in war, there are no winners. There might be a victor, there might be somebody surrendering, but everybody always loses. So how can we as human beings on the path of the Bodhisattva use our bodhicitta not to separate, not to judge, not to assign blame, but to use this energy to do this very intricate work of plucking out all those seeds of jike as soon as they come up. How the answer is up to each of us and that's how from the point of view of a Zen Buddhist practitioner we begin to live the life of responsibility and of being truly on the path of the Bodhisattva. This has been a Zen Study Society podcast. If you found it to be of interest, please consider making a donation by visiting zenstudies.org donate. Thank you for listening.